Welcome to the RCP Medicine Podcast. My name is Raisa. I'm one of the Clinical Education Fellows at the RCP this year. My background is in emergency medicine and I'm joined today by Joseph Cox. Morning, Joe. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. So tell us a bit about your background, Joe. So I am a, a gastroenterology registrar in training in the northwest of England, but I'm like yourself taking 12 months out of my training to spend uh, time at the Royal College in the education department as one of their education clinical fellows. Wonderful. Well, thank you for taking time out this morning. I was hoping we could have a conversation about teaching procedures uh, in the clinical environment. As you're aware, at this moment in time, things are very, let's just say, challenging in the NHS. There's long patient queues, shortage of staff, rotor issues, etc., etc. And I think I'm sure you'd agree that one of the things that people are struggling with is managing to get teaching slotted in, particularly when it comes to procedures. What are your thoughts? I can definitely relate to that. I think in the the world of medicine, the as you mentioned, the, the waiting times going up and staff being very busy, I think that unfortunately sometimes the first thing to go is the education opportunities for the trainees, particularly with regards to procedures if they, they're quite time consuming or or you need multiple attempts to really make any progress. So I think that's something that I've definitely noticed both, you know, partly from myself and my colleagues that that's something that we feel that perhaps has over, you know, the last few years with COVID particularly has uh, has unfortunately taken a backseat at times if it's not been prioritised properly. Yeah, definitely felt the same in a and And I think one of the challenges is trying to get people together specifically a learner and a supervisor at a set time is always challenging to get people together in that sort of manner. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, I think at times we just seem to forget that we are trainees and most of us are working in a teaching hospital. So to expect of learning, teaching on the job it, it is something that's normal. And I think it would add value to the team as well if you could have regular teaching and in the longer run, I think it'd probably make things a little bit easier. I know it can be difficult to find teaching opportunities, but I think, would you agree that in the longer run, if you were to teach your juniors lots of procedures, it would make things a little easier? I totally agree. I think your experience sounds very similar to mine in that I think when you put in the effort to hopefully upskill your staff, uh, one, it's, you know, it's part of our duty as, as trainees to both try and learn every day and also try and teach more junior colleagues as, as often as we can. Um, but getting other people upskilled and, and able to contribute definitely takes the burden off the more senior doctors. Uh, I'm sure your shifts are very similar to mine where every lumbar puncture that comes in, it's it's falling on my lap. Whereas, you know, if we have other other trainees able to help out with such things, then that would, would make everyone's life a lot easier, I think. So let's get into it. If we both agree that we need to find more opportunities to be able to teach procedures, then is there anything that you think we can do in advance? You know, how do we make sure that we make the most of the opportunities that actually arise? I think there's a number of things that I've uh, either tried myself or or experienced, you know, organ through organisations that, that have been very beneficial. I'm not entirely sure if it would relate the same in A&E, although I I presume a lot of things would overlap. I think the first thing to consider is um, ensuring that everybody within the team is aware of each other's abilities and their learning needs. 
Um, this could be perhaps at the beginning of a rotation or it could be at the beginning of a set of on-call shifts or even at the beginning of each day just so that everyone is aware if, for example, a patient comes in who needs a lumbar puncture, we're all aware of who is able to do them, who is able to supervise and who perhaps might benefit most from, from taking the opportunity to try and do that with some supervision. I, I don't know if that is similar in A&E or those opportunities would be there to take. Well, yes. I mean, in some of the A&Es I've worked, we've had a consultant assigned for the day, more for sort of written assessments and mini kegs. But I agree, less so for procedures, but that, I think that's a very good idea if you highlight who would be in charge maybe of keeping an eye out for procedures and highlighting them. That would be a good way of making sure that junior colleagues get a good opportunity to get exposed to them. I would also add there that I think if you can get the whole team on board with with who will be taking the educational opportunities as they come in throughout a day or a week, then it allows the team to really prioritise their time and, and um, adjust responsibilities appropriately. This is particularly important with procedures because I think some of these take a lot of time and if you're constantly getting bleeped or you're getting distracted then actually the opportunity to really focus on what you're trying to achieve uh, can be diluted or, or or lost so if you are able to perhaps at the beginning of the day highlight someone that will be undertaking procedures and someone that'll be supervising them should they come in then the rest of the team are aware of that and they're happy to take on the responsibility hopefully and if this is a culture that we can set up then you may be taking on a bit more of the day-to-day -day job so that others can learn today, but equally next time it will be your opportunity and you'll reap the rewards from that. I think that sounds fantastic. I mean, I'd certainly be up for something like that if it means that my junior colleagues will get opportunities to view or participate in procedures. And the same for myself, because like you're saying, time pressures often mean that you see rare but fantastic opportunities that just slip by. It's a really good way of managing that. So having said that, if you were to bring in a junior colleague into a procedure that maybe they've heard about but never seen, or perhaps seen once before, either online or from a distance, and never actually actively been involved in, how would you make sure that the learner felt supported whilst also maintaining patient safety? So I think this is a quite a tricky balance. Um, and although I have a few principles that seem to have worked well I think that you have to be very wary that every situation is different um, and I like that you mentioned that patient safety you know is always paramount and I think that's something that as much as we try and get the most out of these educational opportunities as we can I think that's something we should always have in the back of our mind the first thing I would highlight I think is that it's important to go through the procedure perhaps verbally with the the learner before you step into the room with the patient, make sure they're comfortable with the equipment, make sure they know exactly what's expected. And if you haven't done already, really get an understanding of what their current ability is and perhaps what their goals are for for this opportunity. I think in the example you mentioned, if someone's never done this, you know, never done a procedure before, then perhaps to expect them to go from nothing to independently completing the procedure may be quite a stretch. So it may be that you just want to organize, you know, perhaps give them the first two or three steps of the procedure and then agree that you'll take over from that point. But again, this is case by case. So that would be the first thing I would say. Um, I don't know if that resonates with yourself as well, uh, with different trainees perhaps that you've never met before. I agree. I think one of the most important things from what you're saying, 
about allowing them to maybe just participate in the first two or three steps is the allowing the participation element. Quite often, particularly in when we're very rushed for time and you know the front door's always open and we've got targets for four hours, etc. Quite often what seems to happen is that junior colleagues who have not been exposed to a procedure are often just told that now is a difficult time for this teaching opportunity. But actually that is the nature of emergency care. There will, if we stuck by that principle, there will never be a, a right time. So from what you're saying, I think my understanding is that even if they don't manage to do a lot of the procedure, having them there to at least observe or take part in a few steps is better than nothing, isn't it? I think so, because no one becomes a master with one with one go at something. So, um, and, and as we both learned through our time with the education department, Kolb's experiential cycle really reinforces the point of having a go even if you're not able to do it independently having a go reflecting on your experience and also getting feedback both positive and room for improvement eat that will help them build so that perhaps the next time they're able to take it a step further or even just do the same steps with a bit more confidence so that all sounds good with regards to going through the steps verbally beforehand is there anything else that you would do in terms of preparation? There are a few other things that I think are important to, to take into account. I think the opportunity to perhaps speak with the learner about, I'm not sure if this is the right phrase, but a safe word perhaps that would, or a phrase that will indicate to you as the supervisor that perhaps they're struggling or they would like you to take over. I think that if you can get that organized in advance, then it makes them a lot calmer that, that they're able to get out of a situation if they feel uncomfortable and I think also it's important to perhaps set your boundaries with regards to how long you're going to allow them to attempt a procedure or perhaps how many tries at for example a lumbar puncture you would you would let them have um, just so that it doesn't appear like you're stepping on their toes if you have to take over due to time pressures or or for patient you know comfort or safety reasons. I think that's fantastic. From my own experience, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm assuming at some point you may have experienced the same. I think often when people are teaching practical procedures, there is this danger of them struggling to let go themselves. So uh, I've had experiences where I've done chest strains and the senior that's observing me, although I've done several before and clearly I'm carrying on quite proficiently, there's been this let's just say this feeling where they, there's this degree of them feeling more comfortable. For example, if they keep their hands very close to yours or their hand on top of your own, and it can discourage you from progressing sometimes. And there's a feeling of perhaps I need to stop because my senior would like to step in. Perhaps I'm doing something that they're not happy with. And at times when I have stopped and looked over my shoulder, they've said, carry on. And I've just felt there needs to be a need to comfortably and confidently step back but I think if we have like you're saying a safe word or a plan that you will get to this point and then we'll review then that would prevent that feeling of stepping on someone's toes or them feeling uncomfortable that's a really good way of planning that I don't know have you, if you've ever experienced something similar I definitely have and I think it's all about making everybody involved as comfortable as possible and especially if you can include the patient in that and explain that you'll be doing the procedure between the two of you you know, you may have to take over at certain points for the sake of time, perhaps, or clarity. Um, and then at least if you do have to take over for whatever reason, 
whether it was planned or not, then it, it doesn't alarm the patient any more than hopefully is avoidable. And do you think you'd always do this with two people involved, so a trainer and a learner, just the two at any one time? Again, a very good point, and I think if you can get more people involved, then that's fantastic. Obviously, as we've mentioned, time and uh, work pressures are often upon us, so getting more people involved can be quite difficult, but I think there is always value to be had, even if other observers aren't practically taking part. As you mentioned, if someone's not done a procedure before, then perhaps the opportunity to observe it being done is great educational value for them. And even people who've had a few goes themselves before, if they're able to watch and perhaps offer support or feedback afterwards, that would both help them from their observation, but also help the learner perhaps with a different point of view or something that they found works in the past. Because I think as supervisors, although hopefully we're, we're fairly good at the procedure, that doesn't mean we have all the answers or we've, we've tried things in all the different ways. So as many people that can, can experience a procedure particularly if it's quite rare or or it doesn't come through the door very often then i think the more the merrier if possible i'd agree with that and i think the other thing to mention is as trainers what you may find is when as more people are observing they may say that they may give us a feedback that actually our instructions were as clear as we thought or perhaps we could have explained things slightly differently you, we always have this assumption that when we're giving instructions, they're very clear cut. And actually, teaching a procedure and teaching content of a lecture is, I'd say, different. Um, okay, feedback. How would you give feedback? Would you give it at the bedside? Would you get the patient involved? How would you go about feedback? So I don't know about yourself. I usually wouldn't get the patient involved unless something went exceptionally well i think if they'd done a really good job perhaps it would be nice to to share that moment with the patient present but usually i i would wait for us to tidy everything away and and try and do it in a more controlled environment is that the case in a and &E? i'm sure it's always very busy and there's probably no quiet room to go but but that's how i would approach it anyway i think the thing is when patients want to give feedback you know if they've been in a particular amount of pain or something's gone particularly quick or smooth for them, they often just independently say so. Um, I guess the challenge would be if the feedback was negative uh, or, you know, there was a degree of criticism, that would probably be a bit difficult to manage. But again, I guess they're in a position where they have a right to say, I was uncomfortable or that took too long, I suppose. It's part I, of the learning process. I would agree, I think. And we obviously have a duty of candor. You know, if, if anything has gone wrong, then it's important that we're very open and upfront about that. But ultimately, I suppose, there's there's a patient can give their feedback, but perhaps the the more detailed feedback about the procedure itself, we could, or I at least, would, would probably try and share away from the patient if possible. I'm assuming this is starting with positive feedback and sandwiching. It would be indeed. Um, so the Pendleton's rules we use in a lot of the RCP educational courses, um, and if I'm, I know you're familiar, but this this always starts with asking the learner what they felt went well with a procedure to really highlight the the positive aspects, um, and and hopefully improve their their morale on how something has gone. 
that then follows by our positives that we we felt and also the wider audience if they're able to contribute and then after that you move on to perhaps things that the learner feels they could improve on or could have done differently and then finally you, you offer feedback um, again with things that perhaps you would do differently or suggestions you would make for next time. I think this is really important because particularly with the way that the medical portfolios at least are set up is that a lot of DOPS for procedures are are linked ultimately to a pass or fail or supervised or unsupervised sort of categories. And I think that this takes away from the opportunity that there is to give constructive feedback for people, particularly in their first few attempts where you may not have expected them to complete the whole procedure, but if you can, you know, give them good evidence for their portfolio that they've actually done half the procedure very well, and you'd be happy for them to do that with minimal supervision next time, then it helps build their confidence. It gets them some evidence for their portfolio of progression. Um, and also it means that future seniors supervising them doing the procedure again have something to fall back on and gives them a, a good understanding of perhaps where their baseline knowledge is following this attempt. So so that's something that I think uh, I've tried to incorporate with with juniors when they've undertaken procedures under my supervision is is the value of what would be classed as a fail of a procedural DOPS, but actually it's good evidence to show their progression. I, I don't know if the A&E portfolio is similar or if this is something that is, is perhaps treated differently in your department. I guess the idea in emergency medicine is that there is this continuous view on progression and being able to evidence the fact that you're trying to do better and progress up the ladder. So absolutely, I think what you said is very powerful, actually. It's not always about being able to do an entire procedure from start to end without anyone talking to you or giving you any advice. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're good at doing a procedure. It just means that you can get it done. And like you mentioned, there needs to be evidence that you attempted things and that you can be allowed to do particular parts on your own. And maybe the next time someone observes you, they're then confident to let you do that independently before they step in with a, a following part. The other thing is, I guess, from what you're saying is very important, is that just because, for example, you can eventually get a chest drain inserted doesn't necessarily mean that you did it in a particularly smooth or good way or with minimal complications. It just means that you managed to get get the chest drain inserted. And if we were to look at it black and white and say, therefore, that's a pass, that's not necessarily enough. The bit in between, like you mentioned, you know, preparation and making sure the patient was comfortable, making sure there was enough analgesia, all those elements in between, making sure your equipment was set up properly, anticipating any complications, all those things in between that often DOPS forms might not be able to capture thoroughly. It's important that we get those bits filled in as well. You know, sometimes we get feedback that says, great, keep attempting these procedures. That's not very um, powerful feedback. It doesn't give you a lot to learn from. And I think, you know, whilst we're not saying we always want to find mistakes, it would be useful to know exactly what you did well and then what you could improve on. I think that's probably more powerful in terms of feedback for future learning. Would you agree? I think so. And and even procedures that you or I have done hundreds of times, I think there's always room for us to improve. Um, and that's where the Pendleton's rules, I think, really um, show their strength in that no matter how well or badly something's gone, there is always something that has gone well. It may even just be that you consented the patient very well or you explained the procedure and you 
cleaned the area before you started, you know, using an aseptic non-touch technique. So there's always something that goes well. And no matter how many times you've done something, there's always room for improvement. Um, and that's both from, you know, an observer's point of view and also self-reflection, which is, again, part of our uh, expected role as, as trainees and, and anyone in the medical profession. Ultimately, what we're saying is, regardless of how busy the NHS is at the moment, there is always an opportunity to seek chances to teach procedural skills. There just needs to be some degree of forward planning. And it's sort of everyone's responsibility to try and allow each other to get these learning opportunities, knowing that if we support our colleagues, we can get the same in return. And that patient safety is key and that there is a way around it to make sure that you keep your colleagues comfortable and confident whilst also maintaining patient safety. And there isn't really an excuse for our colleagues to just miss good learning opportunities when it comes to procedures that may not take place that often. I think so. It's a lot to think about, but ultimately I think it doesn't take a lot of changes to your to your mindset or your practice. And with a bit of forward planning, hopefully we can make the most, you know, as a community, make the most of these opportunities as and when they come. Joe, thank you so much for your time. I hope that this podcast will prove to be quite beneficial to all our colleagues and that there'll be some change in practice. I hope so. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.